you know, Helen Keller is something, you know, someone I think that many of us are fascinated with. And one of my favorite quotes of hers is there is beauty in everything, even in silence and darkness. Ah, I love that. It's so true. The dark times, the hard times of my life have taught me way more than the good shiny times have ever taught me. It's like it's easy for me to accept that in physical exercise, muscles tear and that's, you know, there's pain and then your muscles get stronger. I do not want to accept this in my spiritual or emotional health. I don't want to accept that these things are going to be hard and that this is going to make me stronger or grow. It's like it's a resistant spirit I have towards it. I'll do anything to try and bypass it. Welcome. 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 To celebrate. To celebrate. Party. Welcome to celebrate story. Meanderings in motherhood. 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 With my mom. My mom. With my mom. With my mom. With my wife. Julie Wagner. Julie Wagner. Julie Wagner. Julie Wagner. My best friend lives in Virginia Beach, and before the pandemic, she set a goal that she wanted to see a live performance, music or the arts, theater, once a month. Well, we know how well that went. This past weekend, she described that she took her daughter, her youngest daughter, to see Anastasia at Chrysler Hall, and to hear her describe the moment the curtain went up was electric. She said a riotous applause and celebration and screaming erupted in the whole auditorium. And she felt the sense of connection that it wasn't just her that missed this, this place and this forum, this, this theater, this medium so much. The live presence of everyone together again, pure celebration. Ugh, I love imagining that moment. You know, I think I celebrate well. It's a little bit of my personality. I mean, that's literally why I called the podcast Celebrate Story. You know, a few years ago, wow, it may have been even like five years ago at this point, um, our church does this amazing family night experience. And they typically kind of play off of popular cultural things. And Inside Out had just come out. You know, the the movie, the Pixar movie that held the different emotions. And I was over the top excited to land the part of joy. Um so excited. I mean, this just, this fit to me what I I saw myself to be. And it was such a fun thing to be able to be kind of appointed that like, okay, so clearly other people see me this way too. And then a little bit later in the mom's ministry, when we used to have a mom's ministry, um, they had one of the topics was the discipline of celebration. And I got to speak on that one. That was so much fun. Um, So celebration for whatever It is, seems to come naturally to me. I mean, I just am naturally a celebratory person by personality. I think I came out of the womb that way. And having eight children, I see that. I see some of them are natural celebrators and some of them are natural grievers. Oh, we need both. We need both. Because can we really celebrate without really fully grieving? I mean, unless you'd really grieved the loss of that theater, could you really celebrate when the curtain opened? I'm just like 
fascinated with how grief and gratitude and celebration, they all dance together. It reminds me of a quote from Henry Nouwen. I've got to read this to you. It's such a beautiful quote. So to be grateful does not mean repressing our remembered hurts. But as we come to God with our hurts, honestly, not superficially, something life-changing can begin slowly to happen. We discover how God is the one who invites us to healing. We realize that any dance of celebration must weave both the sorrows and the blessings into a joyful step. I love this because see a a trick that I love to do. I like to dismiss my grief to avoid it by spiritually bypassing it. Here's an example. Um, So both last summer and this past spring, I had a miscarriage in in both instances Um, or like, you know, last summer I had one. And then this past spring I had one. And then this summer we made the decision that we will say goodbye to the baby years. Oh, what a grief it was to say goodbye to this period of my life that I have loved so much. That has not been an easy grief to process. But it's interesting because even as I try to process it, in the beginning, I didn't even want to process it. I wanted to dismiss it. It's like, I didn't even want to allow myself. I wanted to like force my way to gratitude. Like, oh no, I will be grateful. I have eight children. I have no right. I would almost not allow myself the privilege of grieving the two that I lost because I would force myself into gratitude for the eight I had. It was like I just wanted the shortcut, the faster route. I didn't want to sit in the grief. I didn't want to sit in the pain. I didn't want to sit in the sadness. And it reminds me of this quote by Francis Weller. Grief is subversive. Undermine the quiet agreement to behave and be in control of our emotions. It is an act of protest that declares our refusal to live numb and small. There is something feral about grief, something essentially outside the ordained and sanctioned behaviors of our culture. Because of that, grief is necessary to the vitality of the soul. Contrary to our fears, grief is suffused with life force. It is not a state of deadness, or emotional flatness. Grief is alive, wild, untamed, and cannot be domesticated. It resists the demands to remain passive and still. We move in jangled, unsettled, and riotous ways when grief takes hold of us. It is truly an emotion that rises from the soul. I absolutely love the richness that both of these quotes paint a vision for grief and how to do it because I have no idea how to do it. It's a question I ask every holiday. How do you grieve and how do you celebrate? I used to look at them as very separate dualistic things and I'm practicing integrating them both. And I'm seeing in my own life that when I stop resisting the grief and spiritually bypassing the grief, It makes more room for the celebration. It makes space. Marion Williamson says it this way. Our walls are are our wounds. The places where we feel we can't love anymore, can't connect any more deeply, can't forgive past a certain point. 
We are in each other's lives in order to help us see where we most need healing and in order to help us heal. She goes on to say, until your knees finally hit the floor, you're just playing at life. And on some level, you're scared because you know you're just playing. The moment of surrender is not when life is over. It's when it begins. And one final quote from Barbara Brown Taylor. She, um, I read the book Learning to Walk in the Dark, and it was beautiful. And she talks about that the darkness can teach us things that the light can never teach us. And she said, after years of being taught that the way to deal with painful emotions is to get rid of them, it can take a lot of reschooling to learn to sit with them instead. Finding out from those who feel them what they have learned by sleeping in the wilderness, that those who sleep in comfortable houses may never know. You know, a question I often get asked is, did you plan to have a large family? And we didn't. (laughs) There wasn't this grand plan of, oh, yes, we're going to have eight children. Um, It was really just one at a time, except for the twins, and then it was two at a time. And the best way, the best metaphor I've ever found to describe my love of having babies and love of the baby years is a few years back, my husband and I went, it was after our seventh child was born, after Ezra was a toddler, we went for a big trip, just the two of us. We try to go away quarterly. Ever since our fifth baby was born, Ezekiel, we tried to start making quarterly getaways, even if it was just like from sunup to sundown that day, because that's all we could afford was a hike and no hotel and a shorter amount of babysitting. But since then, since let's see, that was, he was born in 2011. Since then, so for about a decade, we try to make quarterly getaways to invest in us, to invest in our marriage um, and make sure that that's not getting crowded out with the busyness of our family life. And we had done a big trip, um, which for five days is big for us. And I'm so grateful. Um, So this was when Ezra was about a year old, we went to Um, Key West, Florida. And then we took a ferry ride out to dry Tortugas. It was a friend of mine had told me about this experience. And it was quite a big chunk of our vacation budget. So it was like all was riding on this. (laughs) So we took a ferry out. It was about a two hour ferry ride to this, this island, this secluded island. And we had, I think it was about six hours to explore there. So we scuba dived and I got scared. My fingers went numb. (laughs) And it was just such a new and numinous experience for me. And then we explored around this fort. That was my favorite part. And then time just flew too fast. We had to be back at the ferry at three o'clock or they joked that they would leave us on the island. And I believed them. I certainly didn't want to find out um, (laughs) if they were telling the truth. And so the literally the last, I don't know, seven, 10 minutes, Steve and I kept wanting to see another peak at the entire landscape of the island from one of the tallest points of the fort so we'd like climb the stairs to the top and then go around the corner and find another new like just amazingly beautiful view like the most beautiful views I've ever seen in my whole life as far as landscape and we were just wanting to soak up every last second and so I remember us like sprinting across across like the courtyard area to where you got to the bridge to get back to where the ferry was And it was like, just almost like a panted finish. Like, is there any other last second we can soak up of this place? Because who knows, will we ever get a chance to be here again? This place is beautiful and amazing and so much fun. 
And we get back to the ferry and I expected there was 200 some people on this ferry and I expected it to be a long line because everything else we did, there was a long line. And so I expected, oh, there's going to be just this big line to get back on the ship this last, you know, 60 seconds of being on the island. There was no line. We were the only ones. The, um, the leader of the boat was like checking one last box on his sheet and was like, oh, you must be the Wagners. You're the last ones. I was genuinely, utterly shocked that everyone else wasn't like spending these last few seconds on this island. And I got on and everybody was having a party, a grand party. I mean, the party had started, the food was out, the drinks were out. And I was like, oh, this, this is actually exactly how I feel with the baby years. It's like I wanted every last second in this small window of our lives to experience the beauty and the marvel and the gift of having babies. And I think being side by side, my sister who lost six babies in the time that I had six babies, it's like that grief and that gratitude were so close. It, it burrowed out a hole for the celebration in a different way if I wasn't so close to such loss in my gain. And it's like the baby years, saying goodbye to the baby years was like getting on that ferry. I just wanted every last second of what was left. It really is amazing how when someone shows you their grief and their struggle and their not yet perfect places, it's like it helps you find them. It helps you locate them. It's like a beacon of light of like, there you are. I see you. And I see me, and I see that we are not alone. I love Jessica Watson's music. I first remember meeting her at the wine vault where she was playing. Now, she says she remembers meeting me at the YMCA, but I don't remember that. And she has very nice things to say about our meeting, which is so encouraging. Um... But I remember seeing her or hearing her sing, and immediately she captured my attention. Shortly after that, my husband ended up booking her to play at our my 40th birthday, which my husband did just this amazing job of planning every last detail from music and babysitting and cleaning and white tablecloths and all the food and our close friends. And then she played and sang. I absolutely love her music, though. It seems to be this experience of like embracing the grief and the gratitude, the joy and the lament, the sorrow and the soul, like all of it, like not separating it. And so I am so excited to share her music with you today because I asked her to come on and I asked her to record this song. And immediately listening to her singing it, I just sat here in my bedroom as she's recording at the piano, at the mic, and just tears flowed down my face because it seems like her music sneaks past my ego defenses and goes right to the deepest places in my soul. And I love that. My favorite teachers, my favorite musicians, my favorite artists, my favorite speakers, my favorite mentors are the ones who embrace the both both the grief and the gratitude, the sorrow and the celebration, and not sectioning it out because I struggle enough doing that all on my own. You 
you'll taste the tears You're lost in sorrow You see your yesterdays But I see tomorrow You see the darkness But I see the spark Yeah.